Hey there, Shopperaniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave, covered in a thin layer of sunscreen. Rewritten with me is Chris, fresh from picking his banjo. Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Darn right, man. I'm doing super good. We haven't had guests in a while, just was uh, scheduling crap on our part. But now we have some guests today, and now we might for the next couple of, of weeks if we do a good job. Two of my favorite people, absolute CSS experts, and that's what we're going to fill this hour-long episode with, if we possibly can. Although, Estelle, hi, Estelle, while... Has warned me that this might go over time. Turns out there's a there's a little bit to talk about with CSS, and we have Eric Meyer here too. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going? Awesomely. Congratulations, you two, on the release of a slim little book called CSS: The Definitive Guide, Fifth Edition. Not a lot of books make it to their fifth edition, but but yours has. Anyway, it's 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 an O'Reilly book that has has now moved into that that their their cool new white cover format. You got three fish. It looks like it's a yeah. good look, good looking cover. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah, for the for the listeners, they're holding up copies of the book. It is immense. It is a big, <laughs> beautiful book. It is. Amazing. Highly appeals to me as some, to somebody that's that that wants to know everything there is to know about CSS. Which, despite attempting to have make it a career out of it, <laughs> I regularly regularly humbled by little things. I'm like, what? You know, I learned that there's an EPUB vendor prefix recently thanks to this book. I'm like, where, where the hell did that come from? Um, anyway, yeah, it's a yeah, like I said, a nimble one thousand. What do you say? One thousand one hundred and twenty six pages. Butting up against the twelve hundred page absolute limit of paper book technology. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's absolutely very incredible. Interesting. Like your limitation for the book was the number of pages that can physically fit into a paperback. <laughs> that's, um, <laughs> yeah, because obviously a lot of people read electronically now. But um, if you're if you're going to take it to print, then yeah, you have to worry about those limitations. You have to worry about those, the, you know, atoms and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's stupid Can we atoms. talk atoms? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's um, a phone call to get from an editor. Indeed. Yeah. Apparently, you also have to worry about page length for the eVersion 2 because it's a huge download. Huge download. Yes, I noted from the Amazon website. It says, due to its large file size, this book may take longer to download. No joke, though. I mean, it is a lot of pages. I mean, we've dwelled on this for a minute, but but right, there's there's a comparable, there's almost like a, uh, a cliche JavaScript joke. Somebody took a photo one time of JavaScript, the definitive guide, also a beefy tome of similar thickness, and somebody took a picture of it right next to Douglas Crawford's JavaScript, the good parts, is there a uh, is there a similar joke to be made? What is CSS the good parts? You know, does that book need to be written? No, here it is. It just was. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's just same, writing same it. book. Okay, same book. Same book. <laughs> yeah, it's all good stuff. The good part, all of CSS is good parts. Well, okay, there are a couple of parts that are not so good, but we talk about why they're not so good in the book. So there you go. But very few, right? Isn't it still true? I was just, uh, I think I was talking with, I can't remember who I was talking about it with, but d- like this year we got, you know, we'll get into all this stuff, but there's like, I don't know, few transitions and all this new color stuff and uh, the has selector. And all. Every, every time something new in CSS comes out, this is what happens. Everybody's like, oh, it's amazing. Whereas JavaScript, they're like, we're going to have classes and the people are like, the hell you are. You know, like there's just a lot of like fighting, I feel like about 
it's just a little, I don't know if it's just the spirit of that community or whatever, but it's, uh, I don't know. CSS is just like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. <laughs> and they're kind of right, usually. Yeah, I know it seems that way. It's really not. <laughs> What's the app cache of CSS? Ooh, yeah. What's CSS's <laughs> biggest blunders? This is a good TikTok. Um, probably uh, oral CSS, A-U-R-A-L. Oh. Um because not in the sense that anybody hated it, but in the sense that it was underspecified, never implemented. And if you talk to accessibility experts these days who know anything about oral CSS, they'll say, yeah, that, that was not a good idea. There's a reason mm. nobody ever implemented it. So um, speech, CSS for speech is now back in the conversation, but as a let's do it right this time, not a let's try to... Um, let's try to resurrect. Maybe media screen TV. Yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe. At media maybe. TV. Uh, what is it? It was TV a keyword that just meant something? It, it was basically like they assumed that when you did, like if you did screen, there would be a different thing for projector and a different thing for TV. Not that everything was actually just a screen. Right. Although I did use the projector media type for many years. That's uh, part of the basis for the um, browser-based slideshow system I made, S5. It's, oh, if you wow. had media equals projection, which Opera also did this, that's where I got the idea. If you had media equals projection styles, they would be used if a, if full a browser went mode into or... full screen mode because yeah. the, the presumption was that you were you know, projecting it, you were giving a talk or whatever. Hmm. Oh, so, so full screen was. I mean, kind of. I don't want to. I don't want to say it was absolutely one to one. Full projection equals does full it still screen, work? but it was effectively. I think that well, is the app cache equivalent. S five does still work. Uh, I don't think anyone's supporting media projection anymore. I, Opera might be, but they because because they switched over their engine completely to Chromium. Probably not. This yeah. is why browser diversity matters. Is for that one feature. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's just that. The other really weird feature is um, you, the style sheet themes. I forget the uh, if you give the title attribute mm -hmm. to rel style sheet, you actually can theme, and that I think is only supported in Firefox. So that might be another app. The title attribute on the link element. Yep, when the rel is style sheet. So link rel style sheet, which we've all written a million times, because you have to do that for CSS to apply. If then you an href. If you put the title attribute on that element, it has a different meaning. It's not the it's title. It's, it's the rel. There's rel equals style sheet, and then rel equals alternate style sheet. Okay. Oh. That's so on pages 14 and 15, by the way. Of <laughs> if the book. we had read it, of course, right? We would have known this, right? Yeah. And then, but it's, it is the title attribute that makes it... That in the UI, it'll show you... Populates like you the give, menu. Right. Yeah. It'll, it'll give you a little drop-down menu. Yeah, the screenshot that we actually have for figure 1-7 to illustrate this is from Internet Explorer 5 for Macintosh. It was taken for the first edition. Uh, and I've kept it mostly. I actually had to fight a little bit this year. To with keep the editors. it? Yeah, they were like, this is really out of date. Uh, could you please update it? And I said, no, I could please not. And <laughs> they let me get away with it. We'll see if we'll see if that continues. But yeah, in the title attribute was where you would like name the style sheet. So you could have like default and then 
you know, right. title equals crazy colors or whatever. And then that would be your alternate style sheet. So if you remember the style switchers of the early 2000s, which a lot of listeners probably don't because you were in grade school, but whatever, um, like websites would have, you could pick from a number of style sheets. Actually, Jeremy Keith's site at Actio.com still, does, still, that, still yeah. does that, which I really love. I'm sure um, it's not implemented that way, though, right? Is it? No, I mean, it's, it's implemented a different way. Um, but that was a thing that was built into browsers. And yeah, Firefox still supports it. And I think that's it. I Safari think that's it, yeah. did, but I think they removed it many years ago. Okay. All right. But so I'm interested in why you would fight for it in that way, though, because you're not you're not you're a smart guy, Eric. You know that no, you can't you 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 can't even run IE five for Macintosh if you wanted to. It would be a a challenge to get there. But you wanted it on uh, in the book. Is it because it's the definitive guide or for historical reference? Or? I for for me, it's a little bit historical, and it's a little bit to show that. Hey, this was supported 20 years ago, and those of you who were in grade school at the time might not know this, but this has been this was a feature of the web, and we've actually lost it some. It's right. a way without like writing out, you know, and chewing up paragraphs on, you know, it was supported in this browser from this year to this year, and then they dropped it, and then in this other browser until this year when they dropped it, and it's still in fire, right? You just like sort of imply, hey, this actually has been around for a long time. Um and uh, I do, I miss it a little bit. I miss that you could do that in multiple browsers because it, it was it was useful um, at the time. So as an example, you know, we didn't have uh, prefers, like app media prefers reduced motion or prefers high contrast or whatever I've forgotten already because I can't remember everything in the 1,100 page pages. Eight, 89, I think. There it was. Is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably more like 890, but regardless, <laughs> like there wasn't a way for, for style sheet authors to pick up from users, hey, I would really not like to not have any animations or I would really like to have high contrast, right? So you could write a high contrast style sheet and then users could pick it in the browser interface. Um, we do have more automated ways sort of to, to do that now, which is nice. But do you, uh, so this feels relevant with like light mode, dark mode. I've even seen people do like sepia, you know, or, or, you know, is, I guess this kind of is a, maybe a bigger discussion. Like, should the browser be where we set that? Not like in somebody's footer or something like that, or the little moon toggle, like, like, should the browser be helping us? Uh, and I know, Eric, you kind of tangentially work on a browser, but, like, uh, is that, uh, like, something browsers should do? I actually, I think this is a question for Estelle, because Estelle works, works a lot more with accessibility, which is really what we're talking about. So the browser, the user preferences, a user can set that they prefer reduced motion, and a user can set that they prefer high contrast in their settings, the browser settings or the operating system settings, and the browser actually knows what those settings are. So there's now media queries of uh, prefers reduced motion and prefers high con or high contrast. Um, so users can select that without actually having to click on uh, with, you know, right. a link at all within the browser. There's yeah. debates between people as to whether it should be in the browser as an option or not. Uh, it's almost like two different things, right? Because there's, yeah. the, if you were really 
you we want this, you could a browser could implement it such that if it says background white, it's background black, and if it's color white, it's color. You know, like it forces a, a dark mode on there. Whereas this is a little different. This is like if if there's a dark mode available that's already been authored, make it available to pick from a UI, which is very different in like the strength of what it's offering to users. I don't know. I like it. I'd like to see alternate style sheet come back. It feels like, you know, there's these fancy browsers like Arc that I like to use that are like, you know, we have Arc boosts and stuff. You're like, man, we had <laughs> we had <laughs> alternate style sheet back in the day. Yeah. But I because I, you, you know, you read the spec, so we don't have to. Right. I, I, I think isn't it true that, like, for example, the input type equals date or whatever, that the spec doesn't say it has to look like this. And browsers are left on their own to right. implement it, which means that on iOS, you get weird little dials. And in Firefox, you get a little pop-downy thing that lets you pick dates. And they do that on purpose because they don't want to be involved with that. Wouldn't that be the same for an alternate style sheet? That they wouldn't specify what a UI picker has to be like in a browser. They would intentionally not do that. They, they intentionally don't do it for the input types because everyone's operating system has a default look. So if you're going to get a color picker that's support that's done by um, a developer mm. versus the operating system, the user now has to learn this new system, whereas they're probably accustomed to their default color picker from their operating system. Right. Mm. Which they wouldn't be for an alternate style sheet. I mean, maybe there'd be like a select or something, but there's no like mac os version of a style sheet picker you wouldn't really style the the form controls in your alternate style sheet anyhow uh Pro probably not yeah. but yeah I, that, mean, I mean there's a whole lot of uh let's call it debate around things like form elements like should authors be allowed to make input elements look substantially different than they're used to from their operating system, right? Like I, I can make an argument and I know people who will strongly make the argument that no, they should, no users, I'm sorry, no author, no style sheet author or designer or whatever should ever be allowed to change form elements from uh, the operating system defaults. I could see it like a full-throated argument that says, no, if nobody did it, the web would be more accessible because forms look the same absolutely everywhere. But then you're like, oh, I just want to, can, are you saying I can't use my brand font? That seems so chilled, bro. Let me use my font. So there yeah. is accent color and you can change the font. But if you do something like, if you know the data list element, not fully accessible because you can't style the option. So if you zoom into mm. a data list, you know, like the list that pops up with all the options, it's the original font size that the computer the, has. When you zoom in, it doesn't increase. You can't change the color. If, you, if you're using, um, you know, a data list with a, an input type range, you get the little tick marks, but you can't change the color of the tick marks. So if, you're, if the color of your background is I think it's nine nine nine. Then you can't even see the tick marks. They're gone. You can't change wow. those colors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's and right. There, there are all kinds are those of concerns. Or are they right. just the way it is? We, yeah. used to be to, we used to be able to style the shadow DOM like the browsers used to make. You know, like I'm making this up because I don't know what the actual pseudo element is, but it was like the dash moz 
dash thumb or dash moms, dash range oh, chicks. Oh, right. And These proprietary. Chicks, but they were proprietary and then you could style them. But I assume then people would not style it for high contrast mode. But since the browsers but don't change it for high contrast mode them, anyway, I don't think. Yeah. It's the, it's the same argument about uh, custom scroll bars, right? Like, I, I, I can't remember who I saw recently wrote, basically wrote an article. It was like, custom scroll bars, stop it. Eric yeah, Bailey, it was Eric I believe. Bailey. Was it Eric? Yeah. Okay. And he made a good point that it, it was just like form controls too. It's like you you think you know what you're doing and you don't, you know. And here's me over here being like, I'm just making a bigger Eric relax, you know. But he's mm. like, no, don't do it, you know. I don't think it actually made it into the book, but there is a specification which changes the width, which allows you to change the width and the color. Right, it's very bar. toned down, right? Firefox has supported that that forever. That it's just two properties, right? And e even the width, it doesn't take a pixel value, right? It's like large or small, or thin or wide, thin, or something. Yeah. It's thin, yeah. medium, thick, or thin, medium, wide. Yeah, I can't remember now, but yes, exactly. Right. It doesn't so allow you to do a hundred pixels and set a background gradient. It, and, it does change it a, a bit, but it still keeps it looking like uh, it allows you to change it so it matches your theme so where do you land on it estelle are you does that seem like okay like to a reined in version of that or would you still be like nah don't touch it i think it's better to not touch it um and the reason i think it's better to not touch it is because people do stupid things um if people didn't <sighs> do stupid things then i would be like sure but you can't you know with with great power comes with great responsibility and unfortunately, at least the color is, I mean, to, to me, just coming at it, like just thinking from code pen perspective, we have all these scrollable elements on one thing. Like there's these little editors, right? And if, if you're in dark mode and you're saying, don't touch it, and you're in a browser that forces those scroll bars to look light, I just think aesthetically it looks, it just looks really bad. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, but it, that's okay. At least the spec says if you want to make them dark, you can make them dark. And to me, I'm like, well, if it's, if it's part of CSS, I'm going to do it. Gosh, darn it. Uh, okay. Sorry. I made that. I made this about me. Here's here. I'm, <laughs> let's, let's pe pepper some of this more, more C CSS stuff in there. Cause I like that we're bouncing around. It's just fun for me to talk about absolutely random CSS things. I, I, there was a little back and forth bloggy stuff happening about, um, well, there's always this question about SAS and its features and CSS and stuff, but here's a tiny, tiny little thing that SAS does gives you slash slash, like, like in so many programming languages, including JavaScript, single line comments. I'm so curious from somebody that's researched the heck out of CSS and, and knows perhaps about its syntax. Is there any hope? Would that be like a crazy 2024 thing to get? or something browsers being like guess what single line comments coming to css near well, you we've always had single line comments Ooh. kind of because you just put a typo in something and you end it with a semicolon and you've got a single line comment <laughs> if you just <laughs> failed the css it's a comment you fail technically. The CSS yeah. line yeah. It, yeah because it just ignores as long as it's not in the selector because like selectors are non Forgiving, if you have a selector block and doesn't understand one, it'll be like, yeah, no, this whole thing is uh, shot. So but I could just do dollar just, comment colon and write my comment is, or you could do an is, yeah, you know, like put your whole thing inside an is or a where because those are forgiving. Oh, um, your comment, 
So what you're saying is we just need to update our syntax highlighting themes. <laughs> That's all we need. It just needs to please, make that gray, and then we'll all be happy. Please don't do anything I just suggested. But oh, I, I love often, that. like, I often will, I often, because um, one of the things I like to do is I like to make my style sheet visible and editable so that people can play with it. And I put an X in front of any property that I want or an underscore in front of any property that I want them to remove the X or the underscore so they can see the effect of this thing mm. toggled on and off. So yeah, it's kind of like a comment. Um, so you can take that to the extreme and actually write a whole comment because you could do like content colon and then you put in parentheses, like in quotes, this whole thing, but it's not in, in the before, so it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. We you already can totally have single, single line, line comment. Code. Just please don't do it because the person who comes afterwards is like, what the heck does this oh, mean? Oh, just rife with disaster. Yeah. Especially the absolutely has to end with the semicolon problem. I, if you forget that, you, yeah, then you're screwing up the next line too, then, right? True. But yeah, your syntax I mean, highlighter will tell you that the next line is screwed too, so it's okay. You could, you, you could put in, you know, your own vendor prefix like dash my dash comment colon and then a string semicolon that's done. a smarter way of doing it yeah you should I not like be it. asking us ways no, we have we so many with, we can come up with the best <laughs> ways yeah there's <laughs> so many bad. ways to just mess up future css and future yeah, i mean i think that everyone should just put a trans you know universal selector transition uh delay one second oh delay yeah, like an animation like delay yeah put put zero seconds space and then one second and it'll just delay all your transitions by one second. So when you hover over a leg, it takes a second. Oh, we come up with really bad ideas for April Fool's. You're blowing my mind here. Why would you do that? That's horrible. Um, Eric, has one, Eric has one for taking one hour to rotate a page. So you put it on the page <laughs> so when no one notices it. But if they leave it in a browser window, like a tab that's open and they come back to it, Yep. You know, four hours later, it's tilted like 30 degrees. And I'm like, what the uh, heck happened? What did you do? Yep. Uh, I was on somebody's website the other day that I swear, I swear to God, I couldn't get it back. But they had a one pixel breakpoint that upside down in their website. And I, then I kept I, I kept resizing my to try to get it back, and I couldn't find it. So I can't prove that that's what it was. But in my mind, I'm like, that must have been what oh, it was. Chef. So the Wash yes. the Washington Post had that. The Washington Post had media queries where if it was larger than fourteen hundred or something like that, it was one size, and it was it was smaller than thirteen ninety nine point nine. It was a different size, and I managed to keep getting my browser stuck right in between the two. So when it did that, it would be like, uh, because they did mobile first, so it would be like 360 pixels wide. Mm. So it would go from 1400 to 360 to 1399 or something like that. Um, <laughs> and so it took me like, I sent them some, I sent them some screen, uh, some videos, but it took me like a really long time to actually get like a screenshot with the developer tools open because I had to figure out exactly which Oh, you got it. And it was a sub-pixel, too? Ugh. It was a sub-pixel, yeah. Wasn't it a little bit, like, if you wrote two media queries that said, I want under 1,400 pixels and over 1,400 pixels, that you could accidentally, you accidentally, 1,400 pixels, neither one of them applied. And you'd be right. like, oh, whoops. <laughs> yep.
that's exactly what happened there. Yeah. And that's and that's why uh, one of the recent innovations in media queries has been having like the little mathematical symbols. Greater than the range so syntax. Than, right, range syntax. So you can say width less than equal to 800 pixels, and then the next one is width greater than 800 pixels. Yeah, because... Mm. Because to exactly that, that that thing you were that thing you were just saying is it could could happen to to you where you would say you know max width fourteen hundred pixels and min width fourteen hundred pixels for the next breakpoint and yeah like weirdness could happen either they would both apply or if you set it up a slightly different way neither of them would apply it at one precise like pixel yeah. width and then I've totally done up, it yeah exactly so with a range syntax. Uh, you you can if you're careful. It's much easier to to avoid those problems. Yeah, it's way better. It's way better. Good job, CSS. I want to go back to this flipping the page around idea because <laughs> I feel like that could be a really important accessibility feature for like people in Australia. You know, like when they want when they want to read the site. You know, know. it's like their toilets have media queries that make the water spin the other yeah, way. If we Why flip not the pages around for Australia? Then like yeah. they they're like get a better reading experience. I no one's talking about this. It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm with you 100%. It. By the way, sorry, uh, I just want to say ranged media queries, pages 1038, ranged. To, 1038 to 1040 in the book. Whoa, that's, <laughs> pretty, that's almost to the end of the theoretical limit, or the, the, the <laughs> physical limit. <laughs> this episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by one of my favorite pieces of software, and that's Notion. So today I'm excited to share that they just launched Notion Projects, which includes new powerful ways to manage projects and leverage their powerful built-in AI features too. So one of the ways that you can do project management with Notion is to make a database. And if that sounds scary, it's not really. It's kind of just you can start as a spreadsheet or that's a helpful way to think about it where there's rows and you control what the column types are. So you can say like, what is the state of this particular task? And who's assigned to it? And how long is it going to take? And uh, there's actually a new feature that's like, well, what GitHub pull request is associated with it? So if you're thinking of it like that as this kind of spreadsheet structure, you can view it like that and sort it like that and filter it and all these powerful possibilities. But you can also view it in different ways. Like if you attach a date field to it, you can view the whole thing as a calendar. And that's kind of useful. We use it right on Chop Talk Show for like looking at the calendar of dates when we're recording and publishing things and all that. Uh, uh, but a more common way that I use it is to view then that database as like Kanban style. So there'll be like the state, like these are to-do tasks and these are tasks that are in progress and these are tasks that are done. And you can kind of drag the cards in between like, ooh, I got this task. I'm going to drag it over. I'm going to attach myself to it. I'm going to attach this PR to it. I'm going to estimate that it's three days and all this. And Notion Projects has a bunch of extra features that help with that. For one thing, you can flush out the tasks with AI stuff, which can be useful for brainstorming. You can view it as a timeline and say, oh, this task happens to happen before this task. And when this is done, it leads into this one. Really great for project management. So, so thanks so much to Notion. Do your most efficient work with Notion Projects. You can try it for free today at notion.com slash shop talk all lowercase letters. When you use our link, you're supporting the show. Go right now to notion.com slash shop talk. No, I just have a list of like, of like CSS things. I was like, what do I find weird about CSS that these, these two geniuses can tell me about? Here's a, here's a, a display value 
of a list item is not display block or display inline. Yep. It's display list item. Yep. And I never, I never got it. Like, wh- why? Why? <laughs> what? What does that matter? Why isn't it block? Who cares? It's block with a marker. Right. But that's the thing. Do blocks generate markers? Yeah, I guess not. Right. So, it's, but list items do by default. Like by default. His, historically. So we are we are now getting to the point where but a user style sheet would just be like li marker. Well, now, yes. But when the display property was defined and those values were defined in the late 1990s, so in the previous millennium, um <laughs> it's old tech. <laughs> there was there was no marker, so you know, when they were writing it down they're like, "Okay, we have inline boxes and we have block boxes and we have you know none boxes if we want to make things go away and you know somebody must have said yeah but list items they have this thing hanging off of them and we have no way to describe that and so they that's probably is what it was they put that in there we like yeah we are now getting to the point with the marker pseudo and stuff like that that you could you could could hypothetically block with marker I bet that's, I bet a lot of DOMs are littered with that, like lists that if there's any JavaScript involved that kind of hides and shows them that whatever framework is doing it sets it to display block to like show it, which would have no visual consequences. You know, if one of your list items of 10 is block, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could argue about list items having a special list item display is that uh, ordered list items trigger counting. Whereas on order do not. And again, mm. now we have counters in CSS, but at the time we did not. Like when those values were defined. There's also the accessibility feature because if it's yeah. display list item, um, you know, you, yeah, need it's to like be, counted. you need to be careful when changing the display properties of elements. Because if you do like a table and then you t- say to display grid, then it can lose its um, roles for the screen reader. Right. So if you don't know who's going to be messing with your table, you might actually want to put redundantly aria roles of aria role table, aria role, uh, aria role or just role. It's not aria role. Role equal uh, table cell, table row, table, uh, because you don't want to lose it if someone turns it into a grid. Yeah. I, I think we, this is my newest CSS hot take, is we need new table styling rules or allow grid without stomping everything so what chapter is that eric uh well yeah there's actually is an entire chapter is it chapter 14 this time around i forget there's a whole chapter on table table layout and table styling and i don't remember it is chat is in fact it's chapter 13 it was 14 in a previous edition if we want to change the topic to chat gpt someone asked a question uh the other day um and they basically started off the question without talking about ChatGPT and said, uh, class is not supported on column, but it doesn't say it any place in really? the MDN documents. No. Class? No. Oh, ChatGPT told them this information. And so oh. they went to confirm and and MDN, you know, I write for, I, I work for Open Web Docs. Um, so mm-hmm. we write uh, content that's displayed on MDN. Um it doesn't say 
that it's not supported because it is supported, but we also don't explicitly say it's supported because yeah, classes of global attributes support it everywhere. Everything. So yeah. when you use Chat GPT, realize that it's wrong and don't ask us questions about it. <laughs> just read our book. I won't. <laughs> no, that's a uh, call is one of those ones I just don't use because it's, I just know I, I am in, I effed it up territory, you know, like I have, yeah. I've really biffed up the table. Yeah. That is a weird, weird property. Cause it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually wrap because it can't. No, no, like call, it's just call not, the element. The yeah. Element. Call, call the element. Yeah. So. No, 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 but it, it doesn't wrap the table cells that it's in, right? It just somehow magically styles the stuff below it. It's behind everything. So anything you style is on top of it. So you can give it styles. There's a limited number of styles that you can put on it. Right, um, right. But anything else overwrite. But you can't go like call hover background yellow because it, it, you never hover it. It's like not a hoverable thing, you know? That's what always confused me. Like yeah. call width and stuff like that, though? Is that sort of what it was made for? Or Call width and background color as well because you used to not be able to automatically, uh, you know, we didn't have nth of type even so you couldn't just stripe tables mm -hmm. so you would um, call or and it's actually mm -hmm. kind of good because you never know if you're going to have multiple cells put merged together so you can actually make a column a background color and then you don't have to make uh the fourth cell of each row oh it's making me think that if because the the trick was like you could always do row highlighting. Mm -hmm. That's no problem. Tr hover because there's an you element do there. Call hover. <laughs> right. But I wonder if we now that we have has, could you do column highlighting with has now? I bet you can. I can. Probably. You can. Yeah. Ooh. Almost. So I, I wish do, I had a CSS blog. I, wanna, I would totally write that. When I want to color a column, I actually do nth last, td nth last of type three. So it's the third to last column because usually your merging is on the first and second cell. In a whoa, row. Whoa, whoa, So you do it from the end because usually you don't have merging towards the end. Whoa, you're blowing my mind. How does that work? Uh, since, you, since you mentioned has, it now the, the, you could use has to do it so that whatever cell you're over, it highlights the row to the left and the column above that cell. So that, wow. right, right? It's sort of like a connector. You use has in it. Okay. Like has hover or something or dude, we just nerd snipe Eric. Uh oh, right. It. I got a. Holy I got a, nerd I, snipe both of us. We're both doing. It. We're like, <laughs> Let's open a code pen. Can we stop this? I want to do the column yeah. before and after, so it 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 shows like cross hatch thing. You know. Can we break this interview? Go do a code pen and come yeah, back. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do the like thirty <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> yeah. Some interlude music, Chris, and so we'll just pop that in here. And we've all been on code pen for thirty minutes, and we're back. <laughs> I already did it once this episode. I will tell you that if you set a random list item to block in the middle of a list, it does have bad implications. So please, please don't do that. I thought it wouldn't somehow. I was wrong. It skips Surprise. the number, though. It skips what? the number. Yeah, it goes like if you have five list items, one, two, three, four, five, and you set the third one to display block, it goes one, two, nothing, three, four. It's really weird. Now I'm mad. Because it's not a list item. It's <laughs> yeah. no longer a list item. Yeah. It makes sense, but I'm mad. <laughs> you know what? There's so much in CSS, I think, where as, at some point we go, that 100% makes sense, and I'm really furious about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it would be easier if it didn't make sense. I'm mad because I can't, like, 
criticized that it does this because it totally. makes sense. I mean, even at the even at the basic level where you say like a color red and then a color purple and it changes it purple, you're like, mm. "Whoa, I want it red." But uh but no. now with cascade layers, you can uh, put each one in a different layer and then yeah, mess around with it. Yeah, but if you put revert, it'll go back to black because it'll go to the previous That's true. Um, origin. That's not true. The previous layer. That's so new. I wonder if that will be one of the... I'm not... I, I don't want to incite anything, but I was like, yeah, you know, two, three years from now, when nesting is really settled in and cascade layers, is there any chance that some of those features, people are going to be like, ooh, ugh. I don't know. Oh, there's always the chance. Initial, unset, uh, auto, and none, and uh, and what revert? What do you use? What what's the, what's the, is there order of operations for those? Like PEMDAS or something? Oh crap! There is, and I've forgotten. It. I tend to not use those, and I just try to use really low specificity, and then overwrite stuff. Because it's easier to remember. Because usually when you want to revert, you really just want to unset it from the current and do whatever its parent was. What always got me is there's not one that's like, pretend like I didn't do anything, but but still inherit from just one level up or, or whatever. There's not one for that. Like That's what revert layer is kind of going to kind of oh, do. Oh, revert layer? Supposedly. Oh. Yeah. Oh, another one, Dave. Just I know. make sure... There, there is absolutely the chance that we, you know, we'll look back on Cascade Layers as the next CSS app cache. That, like, or I don't, yeah. I don't or actually not. think so because it's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> app cache was not fantastic. Okay, fair enough. Um, but you know, like we, I use, I use layers all the time in my code pens. Yeah, like I'll, I'll write a ten line CSS of code pen, and I'll use a layer because I want my setup to come after so that people can see what I'm actually trying to teach. Mm. So I start by creating this layer and then I put the layer down at the end, which is the ba- like the basic, the setup for the page. Mm. Um, and that way this, the first five lines, the first one's layer, but the, the next five lines are, this is the important stuff that I want to show yeah, you. Yeah. You've like demoted it, even mm. though it's later in the yeah. CSS. Right. Because well, kinda... cascade layers take lower precedence than styles that are not in layers. Yep. Right. Which that was a wild twist for me, but I, I get it. It's cool. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, a, in fact, that was one of those. That's a furious one. Yes. That's a perfect one. Exactly. Yeah. When, when I realized I was like, Oh, I hate this. But what I hate more is that it makes sense. Well, because you we were like, oh, this is your way out of important. You're like, oh, that's cool. I won't have to use important more because this layer thing gets me out of having to use important. And you're like, oh, but just kidding. It's actually less important if you layer something. I know that's not a right on analogy, but yeah, go on, Estelle. I, I actually write what the layers are and announce them originally just so that the user knows that there's a layer so that they're not confused because they're not going to mm. scroll down. They're not going to be like, Wait, why is this? That feels like a total best practice to me is to is to get this because, you know, you don't have to do your named layers, but you, you probably should. Just like I think with container queries, like you should probably name the container, I think, you know, like just as a super general best practice. Seems like a good idea. You just want to make life easier for the future developer, which is usually yourself. Yeah. Seriously. I feel like there was an old Estelle opinion, just to switch gears a little bit, where you're you're a little like anti um, shorthand like anything. 
Like maybe shorthand just shouldn't even exist in CSS because there's so much like thoughtless. Yeah, it was mostly resetting. kind of background property. I was very much just, against using just background that one. But I also have never used the font shorthand. Yeah, well, that one's really hard to remember with the slash and stuff and like which thing needs to oh, be first. Me. I just plop them all in there, man. Same. <laughs> Let God sort it out, you know, just, just, just. <laughs> Blasting, jamming them out, baby. Same with animation too. Oh man, if there's an order, I don't know it. I've never <laughs> learned it in my yeah. whole life. <laughs> Let the browser figure it out. <laughs> um, but I'm strongly in support of shorthand for things like border radius and border. Oh, mm. uh, I suppose yeah, border would that would suck to not have a shorthand for it. Yeah, but it's good like point. When, when it's doing like tons of unrelated properties that you probably want to overwrite later on anyway, then write them all out. That's my take. <laughs> Yeah, now Dave and I are on the other side of this one. Yeah, points and counterpoints. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. <laughs> I hate I, I looking at border end end radius, and you just have to know that it means start end 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 or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate that. Hold on, border end end radius spells beer, so that's maybe good, right? <laughs> <laughs> Now there's logical properties. So if you were actually not going to use shorthand for border, you would be like, uh, I, I can't even remember them. Yeah. And I, I will say that is a place where my practice has changed uh, in the last year or so. Because for, for like margins and padding, I am almost exclusively using mar the logical properties. So like I'll do margin block, whatever values, margin inline, whatever values. The shorthand margin is not logical at this point, right? So if True. you say margin 1M, 2M, you're saying the top and bottom are 1M and the right and left are 2M. There isn't a way for me to say like logical margin 1M, 2M, and that right. means block then inline. So I'm actually typing a little more because I do margin block. And margin and, inline. I mean, if, I, if it's the same all the way, like if it's just a 1M margin all the way around, then I just say margin, right? Because it doesn't really matter. I am not a designer, therefore everything is always the same all around. There you go, margin zero. Uh, anyway. I, um, yeah. I do have, there is another kick I'm on. So uh, since I do a lot of open source documentation, and so there's a lot of examples, I really insist that people use outline instead of border for stuff because people will be like, border three pixels, red dash, and then border five pixels, green solid, because they want to show the difference. And it's like, well, you just repainted the page when you switch those two. So if you use outline, you're not doing a repaint or an, and reflow. Yeah. I've used outline in wrong ways just to like draw grid lines and things like that. It's, it's a pretty useful little yeah. tool. So. Yep. It's, it really is. If you're, if you're teaching people how to do stuff, don't use box model properties is basically the yeah don't, don't use stuff that will change the layout so yeah, yes smart. outline over border that yeah all my diagnostic styles for years and years now have been instead of you know border 1px whatever it's outline 1px whatever do you want some really useless trivia yeah 100 uh, percent. Yeah. so line style line style line style which is the value type is the same for uh the um, column gap with this mm. the column rule and for borders, but it is different. It, uh, outline does not use line style because outline has value auto and, and outline does not have value hidden. 
So that is useless trivia that I did not realize or put together in my brain. 20 plus years of doing this stuff, it never occurred to me that they were not exactly the same. Yep. Um, They're very, very similar. Yeah, useless trivia. Yeah, very similar, but yet so different. So different. And then there was a PR to, to MDN content where someone was explaining that the, we had done inset versus outset incorrectly. And I'm like, I am not a designer. I'm looking at these two things and I know they're different and I just can't explain it. So can some designer correct this and make sure that this is okay? It's obvious what the difference is, but I'm like, eh. So there you go. I bet that sounds, it's going to sound really good. On this recording. is fun to dig into these weird things. But all this stuff is in the book. You, you can't go a page or two in this book without being like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's weird. Even if you've even if you've used the language a lot, and it does th- this stuff, it, it can come up, you know? Like once you know it, then it comes up. Like the kind of thing where you whatever, hear a word for the first time and then two people say it that day, and I'm like, is that a coincidence or is that is that just because of how my brain works or whatever you know like i i wouldn't doubt that people listening to this show some something weird comes up that was related to some one of these esoteric things that we're talking about anyway just by the book it's like people who learned learned language based on reading rather than listening Hmm. and they read the english language and it's chaos instead of chaos yeah oh (laughs) you you do not want to know what i did to the word detritus for so many years Detroiters, Detritus. Oh yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Then someone finally pronounced it in my presence. I was like, "Oh right, that makes (laughs) sense." (laughs) I spelled Segway like the vehicle for about (laughs) until I was thirty-five or something. So. That was embarrassing. I don't think, I don't think the word yacht right is possible yeah. to spell. I just can't get it. Like Yatched. Colonel, too. That's impossible. <laughs> Yatch. Uh, so, you know, it, what, it, there's like case insensitivity uh, mm. stuff in, in CSS, right? I was just messing with that. Like if you write nth child and you just are absolutely arbitrarily capitalize the N's and C's and whatever. CSS doesn't care. That's The actual selector is case insensitive. No way. This is the worst. I went down is a it? rabbit hole just like a week ago. About case sensitivity? Wi- in attribute selectors. So the spec says if the language says it's um, that the case doesn't matter, therefore the attribute doesn't matter, therefore you would think that enumerated values in CSS, the case doesn't matter. So like if you do, um, if you do an attribute selector and it's, you know, input, it's type equals, if you do type, then that is, no matter if case, it's completely case insensitive. Even if you do type on um, an unordered list or an ordered list, it's supported and therefore it's case insensitive. But if you do type on a paragraph, it's also case insensitive because even though type is not on a paragraph, it is a it is an HTML attribute. So that's like, why Why is that there? But then you have enumerated values like content editable. We think it's Boolean. Content editable is either true or false, but it actually now has three values, so it's enumerated. Mm. But it's case sensitive. Why? So they changed the spec 
the wet WG spec, and they actually have a list somewhere. It's linked to from the NDN page on content on um, on attribute selectors of which so, which attributes are case insensitive. So it's no longer like logical. So that is my that is my app cache. The attribute go. selector case sensitivity is my app cache of CSS. I finally figured out what my app cache was. Yeah. Yes, that was a rabbit hole. I spent like a full day and a half researching this minutia so that I could bring it to you. You can, and you can make an attribute selector case insensitive with a little eye thingy yes. right at the end of the thing. So that's kind of good. But it does, so it has nothing to do with what's actually in the HTML either. Let's say in the HTML you wrote input type checkbox, all caps. And then in the CSS, it doesn't matter. It could be all lowercase. It could be all uppercase. It doesn't because matter. Because it's right? one of the attributes where it's case insensitive. So there's a list of attributes where it's case insensitive. It's no longer oh. logical. Like it used to be, my understanding of it was if it was an enumerated value, then mm. it was case insensitive. Even if the enumerated, even if it was not a valid enumerated value. So if you put type equals foobar, that was case insensitive because the HTML was case insensitive. But you have enumerated values like content editable where it's case sensitive. And I'm kind of like, why? And it's because someone put it in the spec. And I think it's all pretty all easy. It's like every fifth <laughs> Tuesday is case insensitive day in CSS. And every third Florps day is case sensitive day and so yeah. i think Ex you just, except except in smirch when yeah except in smirch it's and all inverted. odd odd wednesdays you know but it's yeah but we all get that yeah <laughs> yeah and this is this is one of the things that uh, you know estelle and i ran into on the book that estelle runs into an mdn that all of us run into whether we realize it or not is that uh, css does not exist in a vacuum and some of the things that really some of those things that make us furious sometimes are because like, you know, HTML says something, therefore this is how you have to act in CSS, which can be really, really frustrating, right? Or, you know, SVG, if you're trying to style your SVG because of the way SVG is structured um, and the way that the separation of concerns is set up, there's only certain things you can do, even though it seems like you should be able to do more, right? Like that, that just happens. And we we can't cover all of that in the book. We did, did not have room to go into like all of the weirdnesses of other languages that affect CSS. We we got mentioned in mm. here and there, but um that is still a thing that happens. You almost need like a CSS the war stories, like a, a supplemental book that's just about like Hey, here. What we, what we didn't put in the book. Yeah, yeah, you won't believe this, but this can happen. You know, like um. chapter seven will shock you. Yeah, tables can't <laughs> overflow for no reason. It, it would actually be called like "Do not buy this CSS." The rest of the definitive guide. CSS: the worst parts. The yeah. worst parts. <laughs> it's good. I went down a namespacing rabbit hole the other day, as mm, one does. Namespacing. Yeah, that's yes, always fun. So, so in CSS, there is, it's not even in the list of combinators in the selectors, but there's a single pipe is a namespace separator. So it's not a combinator, yeah, okay. but I listed it on MDN as a combinator because that's the way it behaves. What comes before it is the namespace. So you can either put the name of the namespace, put nothing, or put what, or put an asterisk for the bubble. It's like an attribute selector with a pipe equals, a, you mean, that kind of thing? It behaves like a combinator. 
but sort it of. only works in front oh, of... Oh, in the middle of a selector. Yeah, oh, so weird. It, it only works on the type selector and the global selector. It doesn't work on any other type of selector, so not on attribute selectors or anything like that. And so if you have like an A tag in an SVG or an XML, you can style your A's from your from that namespace different than from the HTML namespace. Oh, right. really? Yes, but only global selectors and type selectors. So if you really want useless CSS trivia, that would be one of them. I mean, a global selector like star or star, even like... The universal selector. So you can yeah. go star pipe. Yeah. Which That's means a valid two characters. It, it, yeah, you could do star pipe um, and then do... But I don't know what you... It would just be... Because the global selector would... Anchor or something. Universal selector would be assumed to be there. But that means any namespace. If you put just a pipe with nothing, no name or no asterisk in front of it, that means any element that is not in a namespace. But how do you get an element wow. that's not in a namespace? Use JavaScript to create the element using create element capital NS, which means Ooh. in a namespace... That's and right then, for some weird hacks. And then you can provide a namespace or you can just leave an empty string and then it's the null namespace. So it means it's not in a namespace. <laughs> and then you can style stuff that's not in a namespace, which makes no sense to me. But that is why all of the create element functions, um, you know, like all of those have an NS because there's all these, um, mm -hmm. there's all the ways of creating elements yeah. inside a specific namespace. We. <laughs> Wow. And for more useless trivia, HTML, SVG, MathML, and XML all have a specific namespace, like it's a default namespace. But other, but you can create your own namespace for anything else. But you can't overwrite. If if I understand correctly, you can't overwrite those four namespaces. Mm. So you can give anything in a, a, like a fake namespace, but they also are in the um, HTML namespace even if you don't declare an HTML namespace. So if you don't put your doc type with a namespace in there, or if you don't put a namespace in your SVG, um, you, it's still in that namespace. I just put all of your listeners to sleep. Th that's, I, this is fascinating. I didn't know this existed. People might know about it because when you make SVG in JavaScript, you have to declare the namespace for some reason. I think that's where I, I see it the most is that. Okay. I was, I, I have never created SVG in JavaScript. So I'm like, why is this namespace important? I'm like, I don't even know why it's here. What are you doing on here. Monday morning? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you even really living? <laughs> if you're not if you, doing unless that? you're hand creating your paths with JavaScript, is it really? Oh, ju just so you know, I handwrite my SVG because I don't know how to use any image editing applications. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I do know about cursors. Uh, why can't you select, uh, like, you know, with attribute selectors, you're kind of like selecting content out of this, out of the HTML, you know, but why can't you just be like, whatever P contains Eric and have it select based on the text content of a node. It seems like a weird omission. It's been proposed more than once. Can you imagine how slow that would be to process for the... Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's some I giant mean, HTML document. Right. Everything in CSS, well, everything on the web like every web feature, doesn't matter what it is, but since CSS is nothing but web features, every web feature has to not grind browsers to below mm. 60 frames per second. I actually blogged about this about a month ago. Yeah, um, the first-person scroller. First-person scrollers, yeah. Where, like, you know, things like has, 
which is effectively, well, it, it's it's an arbitrary ancestor selector. So it it functions as a parent selector, but way more than that. But there was never any confusion among implementers as to how you could like identify the ancestor of a different element and select it and then do operations based on that. Nobody had figured out how to do it so that like browsers wouldn't grind to a halt. Mm. Right. right. That was, so that it wasn't was that it was barrier. impossible, it's that it was, it was slow. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. And eventually, uh, actually, um, Agalia, who I work for, was hired to do some prototyping of, is there a way to make this has a pseudo class work performantly? And uh, Byung-Woo Lee, who works at uh, Agalia, came up with a prototype that uh, we're not going to get into the details because I would get half of them wrong and boy, talk about putting your listeners but, to sleep. But it is, it is really cool. But it's very cool. But he figured out how to do it performantly. Right. And then announced intent to ship. And once that path was open, like the WebKit team jumped on it and actually shipped a has implementation before it got out from behind the, the experimental flag in Chromium. Mm. And then the uh, team at Mozilla was able to at least partially uh, follow that same path. They did, They don't have the full, last I checked, they didn't have the full complement of the things you could do with has, but they had like basics. Is that because right? this guy was cool about like the, the basic gist of how it was cracked? Like, does he put out a white paper that's like, if you drive your DeLorean at 88 miles an hour or whatever, <laughs> like it, then he, then it worked. Did some talks, uh, <laughs> talked within, you know, working groups, talked with colleagues and, uh, you know, once there was, there was intent to ship in Chrome and it was behind the experimental flag. I mean, all that code is, that's all open source, so other people could look at it. Yeah, that's probably. Um, and once it was, you know, once sort of he identified, here's how you do it. Like, here's how you set these cache flags. I'm gonna, again, yeah, right. I'm not going to go to the details, but once you do this thing, it actually becomes very performant. And other people, like someone at the in the WebKit team, tried it out and discovered, wow, yeah, this is really performant. We could actually ship this, and it shipped real fast, right? Like, yeah, within a couple of years, right? Like, well. But like it, yeah, mm. it, it dropped within a couple of months. He'd been working on it longer than that. I mean, there was there was more of a ramp up time, but yeah, that's that was that had always been the barrier was the performance. And so you know, you might imagine things like, oh, I've got this idea for this animation type that like you know makes the whole page like swirl around you know the other direction in Australia, obviously, but it makes it all swirl around. And if that's going to drop the standard frame rate of browsers below, you know, somewhere around 60 frames a second, implementers are just going to say, cool idea. No, we're not doing it. We, <laughs> you know, feel free to write the code and submit the patch. We will not land it in the public tree. Forget it. I did come up with a solution as to like, if someone, if a paragraph says, has the word Eric, then make mm. the paragraph pink. You would basically do an attribute selector that says, does the word uh, so it would be um, the attribute name star equals Eric? So is it anywhere? Or you could do is it um, tilde Eric case k, 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 tilde equals Eric with an I case insensitive because uh, there might be a typo. Um, <laughs> and so then you with JavaScript you take the content of the element you put it into a data words. Um, uh, and then you just do data dash words 
and there then you go. have it. Estelle solves it all. It's um, like and then, uh, you solve transcript, like rich transcripts right there. That's uh, just put people's little face next to the transcript. That would be, that would actually be, yeah. That would work. And the then, question is how performant would it be? And if you want to know how performant it is, you have to run it against the HTML specification single page version, which is friggin' enormous. That that yeah. that thing is already too slow really? to render. Oh, so, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Wasn't that like whatever? It, it became famous in my mind when when Jake Archibald was showing that like content visibility hidden or whatever. Mm. Or the browser sucks at rendering that page. But if you take the whole you know bottom ninety two percent of it and don't render it, it's quite fast and whatever. Yep, that page is the page that slows down my laptop and churns mm-hmm. my battery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. And so much HTML. It is yeah, it's a whole lot of HTML with a whole lot of like under the hood HTML that you don't really see because like there's all these spans with classes and they have to be styled and yada da 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 da. So. And because they list things like which ones are case insensitive for the attribute selector, if they just made it enumerated, then we wouldn't have to have that list and then it would be shorter. There you go. So mm. I think they should take care of that for me. Yeah. Get rid of my app cache. I like time. to bring the whole conversation around. Yeah, it's good. Back to app cache um, all the time. Hey. I, so CSS is really hot this year and the last year too, right? So hot. It's going places, and and I do feel like it's finally getting like some respect. I don't know after like ten years of JavaScript heavy news, like it's finally like CSS is turning some heads because it's just I don't know. Just container queries has all this stuff is is mega huge. Um, is that just the circles that we actually socialize in, or is it are the the dude bros who do React actually appreciating CSS? I, I, I think so. Dude bros starting to be like, whoa, that's actually way more useful. But um, I, in my in my Twitterverse too. Um, <laughs> but like, what I, I guess for somebody who's like getting into CSS or starting out, or you know, some, somebody new to to programming like what do they need to know about css like what's the like what's the fundamental concept they need to grasp uh and then how do they get as good as y'all because because y'all are if i have a css question i ask you too because you will probably know uh or maybe chris too uh because he used to have a blog but like who like If somebody's starting out, what do they need to know about CSS uh, to appreciate it, I guess? And then how do they get really good at it? I think to get really good at it, the important thing to understand is selectors, the cascade and specificity. It's that boring stuff Mm. that it's boring when you think it's boring. And then like I do a talk on uh, CSS selectors. Uh, You can look it up on YouTube. Uh, It is the longest talk ever at SFHTML5, but you're kind of like mind blown because you can do so much. So 99% of people who say they don't like CSS because it's too easy and too basic, they know class selectors, element selectors, and ID selectors, and that is their repertoire. You can actually, like, you need to be able to target any element, and you can target any element based on where it is in the page. Um what its ancestors are, what its descendants are. It's so incredibly powerful. So to get really good at it and to really love it, you have to grind through that selectors. And it is, it's not really grind if you're excited about it. So that's why the two and a half hour talk 
is, I think, worth the view because it's actually exciting. I teach you how to do a flag, the U.S. flag, using a table in reverse order. Completely useless, but you understand like how powerful selectors are. Yeah. If you really want to be good at CSS for a layout, you need to know grid mm. and flex, and you mm -hmm. don't need to know everything it does. Um, the hardest thing to learn probably and to grok is the box model. And I think that's everyone's bane. Gotten a little easier lately, maybe. With yeah. But it's, it's, it's like, it's, that's not fun and it's not exciting, but it impacts everything. Selectors sounds boring, but it's actually really, really fun because it shows you the power of CSS. Um, and if you want to get hired, know how to create a grid because that's what they're going to um, test you on. They're not going to test you on. Uh, they might test you on uh, uh, styling a table, like doing the rows in different colors. Oh, yeah. Little zebra stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm going to agree with all of that. Uh, actually, that's all pretty much things I would have said. But I'll also add, don't be scared of the cascade. There will be probably like articles and toots and frameworks that appear to be that they're that appear to be telling you the cascade is evil and you should stay away from it as much as possible. And that's not at all the case. You like the cascade is useful and powerful and you should not be afraid of it, which I mean, it's right there in the name, right? Cascading style sheets. So, um, you know, if you, if you find yourself hearing, you know, people telling you, Oh, well we, you know, we have this thing that solves the cascade you are going to probably see short-term gains and uh, huge long-term penalties if you start going down that road. So mm, Spicy. I like it. I would actually recommend against using... I mean, I've never used a framework, but I've never had to use a framework. And if you... You know, like I've made... I used to say that IE6 was my favorite browser because I made so much money fixing IE6 bugs. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Bootstrap was my favorite framework because I got paid so much money to remove Bootstrap from websites. <laughs> this is so spicy. I love it. This is good. You know, like, don't be afraid of it and don't think it's stupid. Realize it's super powerful. Um, and, and you, like, once you dive into it, you'll learn to love it. And realize it can pretty much do everything, but you don't need to memorize anything because it's all documented. Um, and if I was going to suggest some articles or books, I would definitely suggest our book. But um, uh, for, uh, for my job at Open Web Docs, I did write an article on important and an article on specificity and several articles on the cascade. They're all viewable on, on MDN, which is uh, developer.mozilla.org, and just look for specificity or important or the cascade. Yeah. If you're, but I wonder if, you know, if embrace the cascade, okay, I, but is that, does that mean kind of like anti-scoped, anti-component scoped styles or not, can you, not necessarily? No. 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 So okay. I also wrote this thing, which was super fun uh, for web.dev slash learn slash HTML slash templates, I think. And it's all about styling in the shadow DOM. So it's an HTML, it's like a learn HTML, but there's some pseudo classes like 
if you use part, which is an attribute on an HTML element within your template, and you say part, then you can actually access the Shadow DOM from outside the Shadow DOM to style using the part pseudo element. It's part um, yeah. parentheses. Yeah, part sucks. I'll take a stand on that one. <laughs> Spicy. Oh, I'm so excited about it. <laughs> no, it's um, anti-cascade. It, it you can you can style a part and then it doesn't behave like the rest of CSS does. You only you're only like just like laser beaming in on that one thing and nothing cascades from it. It's so strange to me. But it's, it's like you It's in a it's it's only works in the shadow dom anyway. But it's basically away from the outside the shadow dom to target something inside the shadow DOM, but only if the person who created the shadow DOM in the first place is saying, I'm going to add this part attribute so you can style it. You are responsible for building your own API for styling when a really nice API for styling already exists called CSS. <laughs> Ooh, get hot. The temperature, I'm sweating. We're, we're, oh, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, it allows, because the shadow DOM doesn't really, you know, like, there's this wall, kind of like the brain-to-body barrier, whatever that thing's called, and you can't get through. Right. But you can get through, just like viruses can get through. So I guess you're right, <laughs> it is a virus. We call those bones, brain-to-body. <laughs> I know about the wall, but I always thought, that, okay, I know there's a wall. The wall's there for a reason. I'm not saying tear down the wall. I'm saying give me a little pass-through status if I know what I'm doing. Like, where's I know what I'm doing that's mode? What, that's, that's what part that's is. What part part is. is yeah. But part requires me to like, let's say I want every single thing in this entire DOM to be stylable, like I would expect with CSS. I'd have to put a part name on every single DOM node up and down the whole thing. A unique part name. Well, a unique Because you can't part say part, you can't say part and like root, part, part is parent, part is card. You can't say part and then space P. I want to select paragraphs in that part. You can't. There's no you can't use part and then a selector after the part. But isn't that intentional? Because whoever created the um, the component c- component doesn't want you to do that. Right. Well, yeah. This all is, right. So invent your own styling API. There are inherited properties. Um, there are inherited properties. So, like if you're styling color, that is going to be inherited. Yeah. Right. It's not uninheritable. I, I think get that, what this yeah. tells us is that Shadow DOM sucks. It sucks. It's the worst. I like it. If you think of it as baby <laughs> web pages, it makes total sense. Okay. So you're like lasering into a different web page. It's freaking, that's pretty cool, but. But you can't style it, so it sucks. No, anyway. <laughs> parts of it. You, yeah, you have I know. To, I, know. It, I, I think it is a major foot gun. I, 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 I will stand by. We need a I know what I'm doing mode to pierce it. <laughs> I'm kind so. of bummed that you that we don't have that shadow dawn like that moss thumb that we were talking about earlier that is mm. easily accessible because I would like to be able to style the ticks on the um, uh, yeah that, right. that are created by data that list. stuff should be specified I think but that I'm should be also expected. glad that people who don't know what they're doing aren't allowed to because you know a designer <laughs> would just recreate it and put all the little ticks as little elephants. You know, like, so you'd be on the range, maybe oh, five little that's elephants. That's a slippery like, slope, though. You'd be like, I yeah. don't think we should have background in CSS because somebody will put crazy background stripes where they shouldn't or something. And you're like, well, my you- lawnmower goes, my lawnmower goes from turtle to rabbit. And I think that's <laughs> how God intended it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was 
man, little elephants for the little tick marks. You got, you're selling me on this idea. I'm going to be honest. Now I want it. It's getting better. Yeah. It's getting better. Don't threaten me no. with a good time. Jeez. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, man. All right, well, we maybe found the app cache. We're close. We're close. Uh, Eric, Estelle, thank you so much for coming on Shop Talk Show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, for who pe- for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Uh, I work for an open source collective that is nonprofit, and we actually love donations. Uh, so if anyone wants to support the documentation that is MDN, uh, go to openwebdocs.org. So O-P-E-N-W-E-B-D-O-C-S dot O-R-G. And there's a little donate button in the upper corner. Get your company to sponsor us. Uh, We have four and a half full-time employees and we are, our only mandate is to create open source documentation about web technologies. Hey, and I bet your company looks really cool under the with a little logo down there, and it would be pretty we cool. Have, so we have Carly. Carly is a bookworm, um, and she has many different faces. So um, that's the logo. The icon you see has a smiley face, yeah. but when we hear bad news, she has an, uh, she has a um, uh, really yes. It makes a sad face with trends rotate one eighty <laughs> degrees. On that no, element. she has different Text little transform in Australia. <laughs> full circle oh my goodness the best okay eric how can people follow you and give you money uh well they can go to meyerweb.com to find me uh and in the footer of that there's there are links to my various social type things i actually got to take the twitter link off because i'm basically done with twitter um but uh, there's stuff there. Uh, give me money. Um, if you really want to give me money, uh, give it to like a local food bank or other community organization instead. Uh, you know, and uh, that's that would be, I think, the best way to handle that particular impulse. Great. And there's also a book, big, it's a big book that's going to break your mailman's back. So uh, <laughs> test the limits of the USPS. I <laughs> do have a comment about the book. If you take two books the same height as a stair, so you have to buy two books to to be able to use a ladder on a staircase. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay, so two pack, good. Yeah. in twos. Uh, wonderful. All right. Well, uh, thank you all so much for coming on the show, and thank you, dear listener, for downloading this and your podcast your choice. Be sure to share our favorite up. There's a people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter. No, we're, we, um, we don't really post there. Anyway, join us on the Discord, patreoncom show and Chris. Anything else you'd like to see? Oh, shopdogshow.com. 